Hello and welcome to Neither the Time Nor the Space, a podcast about Doctor Who. My name is David and as always I am joined by the Vermilion Matt. Hello there. Uh, so then, uh, exciting episode that we're discussing this week, significant for a number it's of a reasons. It's a very special episode, isn't it? Yes, I, and I'm sure we both know exactly why. It's because it's the 100th episode of Doctor Who since the 2005 revival. As if I've watched 100 episodes. You have. Like This was your 100th one. Imagine doing something you don't enjoy 100 times. <laughs> uh, I mean, like, imagine if you told me... well. You know, you are vegetarian. Imagine if I yes. force-fed you a hundred ham sandwiches. Mm. At, at what point I, I would, wouldn't would you turn it. and say, actually, I quite like ham? Because I haven't I reached know. that point yet. <laughs> <laughs> this this wasn't the one to convince you then, I take it? No. So I think you had another reason that that this one's significant for, for us in particular. Yeah, the, the format in which I make my notes. I always write the episode episode title... Yeah. Sort of where it falls in the season, so the season and episode number, who wrote mm-hmm. the episode, and I always write the date that it first aired. Yeah. And this one was the 4th of May, 2013. Now, Star Wars Day. Yeah, May the 4th seems to be quite an important day to me, because as mm-hmm. you've said, it's Star Wars Day, so the first, well not the first thing I thought, but I did have the thought, oh it's Star Wars Day. It's also my mum's birthday. Oh, I didn't know that. So, yeah, so every year as a joke, we always get, a, like, a Star Wars birthday card for a child. But then I, <laughs> that I also never gets thought, old, like, I bet. you know, May the 4th does have another significant date to us both. And in particular, this one, the 2013 May the 4th, was the day we first met. It, it was, yeah. Yeah, it, it was the first meeting of our it, yeah. board game group that yeah. we sort of... Founded, really? Yes, we did, rather. Do you, do you want to tell the ever... story of how we met? I don't know if we've oh, ever done that on... on I don't on... think we have, officially. I mean, we mentioned that we met through through playing D&D, but, but mm. basically, when I moved to the area I live now, I think I've mentioned this previously on the podcast, I didn't know anyone uh, moving into this area. Um, and being the sort of person that i am the only way i can make any kind of social contact with people is if uh, some kind of rules are involved <laughs> so um what i decided i was going to try and do is f- see if there was just scour the area for any local nerdy board gamey types um and it took like two years to actually get to the point of, of, of getting a group started because uh, I you know I, I put some posters up around town and to be clear this is quite a rural area it's a bit of a shot in the dark mm. finding anyone in, in a rural place but it can happen you know and I think our group is a testament to that so I put some posters up around town local community boards and things to say like oh does anyone like board games would you, you know please email me on this uh, address and then what what happened for the first two years was I'd get one person email and say, oh, I'm quite interested in playing D&D. And I'd email them back and say, right, well, I've never actually played D&D before. I know you need a, a, a GM and probably at least two players mm-hmm. to, to have like a party of adventurers. It's hard, hard. I think people do sometimes do like one-on-one, one GM, one player games. But as a novice, I wouldn't, wouldn't have felt comfortable doing something like that. So I'd be like, okay, we'll just hang fire. If someone else contacts me, we'll see if we can get a game of D&D going. And what would happen is three, four months later, someone else would email me and be like, oh, I'm interested in playing D&D. I'd be like, okay, great. I'll just 
go back to the other person and that person would either not reply or they'd have moved to a different part of the country mm-hmm. or, you know, whatever. It is. So it took such a long time. And it was yourself that emailed me and then our mutual friend Roy. Yeah. Within within a week of each other. That's it, because I, I'd spent time overseas. Um, yeah. I, I'd spent a bit of time staying with my brother in Australia and out yeah. there he had a board game group that he played with and it became you know, like quite a highlight of that trip. So I was really yeah. keen to keep that hobby going when I came back. Yeah. And I think just sort of the stars aligned. Yeah, it was it was just pure happenstance that you, that you happened to contact me so close together and, and I was just, we were able to just set a date. Um, we picked a, picked a local pub and the three of us just sort of sat there awkwardly in a pub <laughs> with a stack Do you of... remember the first thing I ever said to you? I don't recall it, no, because I don't have a, a great memory for these things like I, you. I mean, we, we got off on the wrong foot, because the first thing I said to you was, are you Roy? And you went, no, <laughs> no, no, I'm David. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so that was the first time the three of us met, and obviously it's it's spiralled on from there, and, and, and various people have sort of come and gone through the through the group over the years, but it's just sustained ever since, and I'm it's one of my proudest achievements, I think, is... Is the founding of a of a group of unlikely nerds in quite a rural community? Yeah, because I, um, I would count the people in that group as amongst like some of my best friends now. Yeah, absolutely. As would I. Uh, hello to any of them if they're they're listening. I think you know, in that time, like I've listen. been to some of their weddings. They've come to my weddings. We've had mm-hmm. children born and. Yeah, and lots lots happened over the course of those seven years. But of course, none of it uh, quite as significant as uh, the Crimson Horror, the episode that we're discussing this week. Mm. Uh, how did you feel about the Crimson Horror, Matt? I, I, I just sort of like breezed through it. Mm. Um, I don't know whether I really have an opinion on it. Um, mm. Because, you know, like I say, normally I'll watch an episode in sort of two or three sittings and in this one i just sort of like attended whilst it was playing (laughs) Uh, should i tell you what what my my relationship with this episode Mm -hmm. um and possibly it was influenced by the fact that my you know my head was elsewhere on the day because i you know i tended to watch uh doctor who on day of broadcast at least uh at, at this stage and so I'm sure I would have sat down. It would have been the same day that I you know, that I'd met you and Roy for the first time. I remember watching it, and at the end of it, kind of feeling like, huh? Do you know what I mean? Just it left me with that kind of feeling. Like I didn't know how to feel about it. Yeah. And then that over time, that slowly morphed into Crimson Horror. That was a bit of a rubbish episode, wasn't it? And then the first time I ever rewatched it, I was like. Oh my god, this is brilliant! I love this. Why did I ever not love this? Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm sure I, I, when I've spoken on, on forums and stuff, other people have had the same experience with this exact episode. It's, it's better when you have some, some idea of where it's going. Mm-hmm. Like it's just, it just, it massively improves on a rewatch. Because what is the next? The next episode, the finale, or have we got one more to go? Uh, I think we've got at least one more to go before the, I, uh, the series I, I finale. I don't have a flipping clue what's going to end at the end of this series. Mm. Like, you know, I, I just don't know. Something who, to do with Clara, say? but what it is, 
I don't know. Every episode just seems to end with the Doctor like going, "What? What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they, they they kind of we're not really getting any further along in the mystery. Obviously now, the main uh, the main developments. Well, well, we'll get to what the main developments in terms of the arc are towards the end of the episode. But let's be honest, most of this is just it is a confection. It is perhaps like the most gatis of Gatiss stories we've had so far. Yeah. It, um, like, it I, feels I like pure indulgence. putting my foot down. He needs to stop. Yeah. <laughs> you know? No. Jesus yeah, no, loves not when he's trying, turning out scripts it's time, like this. It's time someone, yeah. you know, took him by the hand and just led him away. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I think this is going to divide opinions. I don't. I'm sure a lot of the people listening are not going to agree with me, but I genuinely have grown so fond of this episode. Every every time I watch it, I enjoy it more. And it to me, it's a pure indulgence. Like I don't, I can't even say hand on heart that it's a good episode of Doctor Who. But what I can say is it's it's 45 minutes of television that, that kind of just delight me beginning to end, and I kind of don't care. Whether you know whether it's technically good or not, mm-hmm. do you know what I mean? Because um, it's so obviously inspired by you know the the, the that sort of like pulpy sixties Victoriana drenched horror movies of things like Hammer and At uh, is it Atticus I think or mm. I forget the name of the other like the competitor to Hammer like those those British low budget horror movies where they just like just ransacked the the uh, the sets and costume wardrobes of um various period production things and and would just do some kind of like gothic victorian horror um and so it doesn't it, you know it doesn't feel like it it's not quite a parody but it's 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 more interested in exploring the genre trappings of that than actually kind of taking place in any recognisable Victorian reality. Yeah. I, I, um, I've mentioned before, I don't really like the Victorian setting. I, I find yeah. it, like, just too easy. Yeah, it is a well that they go to quite often. I do feel this is quite distinct because it's taking inspiration from a specific part of Victorian history, mm. um, namely the sort of philanthropic model towns of, you know, things like sort of Saltaire and Bourneville. And, yeah, that's what it made me know. think of. I've been to Bourneville and it is, yeah. it is a strange place. Yes, yeah. It's a very, I think it, that is a good setting for a story like this. What, what do you think about um, the portrayal of Yorkshire? Be, being from Yorkshire <laughs> ourselves. Well, you see, of course, I'm not born and bred like you, so I have a bit more of an outsider's eye on it. I, it's to me. It seems like harmless fun. I I hate the idea that most TV shows seem to have that Yorkshire consists solely of Bradford and South Yorkshire, and everybody mm. talks like this. You know, like Sean yeah. Bean. Everyone knows North Yorkshire's the best Yorkshire. It's true. Yeah, it's beautiful. It's just it's beautiful, but it's also a bit boring, isn't it? No, so they really could have any... done an episode where they went for like a nice walk up the White Horse, like <laughs> took in the view. Maybe went to the Black Sheep Brewery for lunch. Maybe yeah. went to Brymore Ice Cream 
for pudding. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Could have gone to Clifford Sour in York, maybe gone to Betty's. Yeah. It's not it's they they're not like these things are nice. Yeah, but, but all, it's all the doctors stuff, doing is walking is around like going, I wonder what's the deal with Clara. He could have <laughs> done that in Barkers. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Um, I, t- I tell you where I went the other day. This is like yeah. going off on a big tangent. But yeah, this, this is been probably yeah. the highlight of my summer slash lockdown. Yeah. Uh, I went to Darlington. Uh huh. And I went to the Big Morrison's at Darlington. And yeah, what they got going on at the Big Morrison's? It, it's it's phenomenal. Like, I, I love going to a new supermarket, and but this. It was like going to a supermarket from the 80s. It was amazing. They had food in there that I haven't seen in years. Go <laughs> um, on, give me some examples. Well, when was the last time you had an Eccles cake? Um, genuinely, probably a couple of months ago. I have them quite frequently. Okay. Now, as, as a it... vegetarian, you've probably not had this in certainly years. What yeah. about Hazlitt? Oh, Hazlitt, now, yeah, you're going back to my childhood. Yeah. Or Scotch pies. <laughs> what, when, when you say Scotch pie, what's a, what constitutes a Scotch pie? Uh, it's like where... It's a bit like a Cornish pasty. Right. But baked in the sort of hard pastry of a pork pie. That sounds horrid. Oh, they're amazing. You see, I, I thought for a second you were referring to the gala pie. No, Which no, is, of no. course... A pork pie with with a hard boiled egg in the middle. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it, it, I, I I can't stress enough. Like I'm excited to go back. <laughs> like usually when it gets to payday, me and my wife will have a treat. Like we might go out for dinner or have a takeaway yeah. or cook a big meal. And I've already decreed that next payday, I'm just going to go there and just buy. I don't know, like just, a party just... tea. <laughs> Maybe like, uh, do you think they do you uh, um, uh, ice cream in a big c- block? Yeah, like wrapped uh, in cardboard, Neapolitan. Like, yeah, yeah. I bet they even do the biscuit Vianetta. That's been extinct for oh. years. That'll be one or two, just like encrusted over with ice at the bottom of a freezer. Like, I, I'm embarrassed how giddy I got. Like. <laughs> um, I can't even remember why we went, because... <laughs> it certainly wouldn't be top of my list to do if uh, my partner said to me, do you want, to, you want to trip out for today? I mean, today, we you know, we popped over to a nearby nature reserve. That was lovely. Mm. I don't think if she'd said, do you know what? Let's go, let's pop out. Do you fancy going to the Big Morrisons in Doncaster? I don't think I would have been quite so keen. <laughs> I'm trying to think. We'd been somewhere... To do something. Ah, we'd been to Teesside Park. We'd been to Hobbycraft Uh, at Teesside Park. Right. It was my wife's granddad's birthday yesterday, so we baked him a really nice cake, but we had to go to Hobbycraft. That was the the payment. That's it, yeah. Yeah. And then, I can't remember, but somehow we got turned around and wound up at the big Morrisons at Darlington. I've got to say, because there's a massive Morrisons in, in Teesside Park. I know, but it's not the same. That one's too, like, fashionable. You need to go to the neglected one on Mormon Park. You know, the one where no one speaks its name and it's glued onto a massive B&Q. 
and there's no paint in the car park, so everyone just abandons their car. <laughs> it, it's honestly, it's so good. Like, um, I've already decided. My wife goes back to work on Wednesday. She's had a week <laughs> off. I'm go. I'm going on Wednesday. <laughs> there's no stopping you. Yeah. Excellent. Right. Well, I mean, that that that, that all being said, shall we? Get stuck into the crimson horror. Yeah, which is assuming I don't. I I really I want to know with our listeners, do they tune in for the Doctor Who chat or do they tune in just to get more glimpses uh, into let's your have a look. life? Let's see what's going on on our Twitter. Um, so I put a message out reminding everyone that we had a bit of technical trouble with last week's episode and there shouldn't be a yeah. prick about it. Yeah. Uh, but then one of our followers. Uh, Whose name is Passion Fruit Scented Jar Candle. So that mm-hmm. sort of tells you Excel- everything you need to know about name. that creep. Um, yep. He just said that because of us, he's listening to the K9 and Company theme tune on loop. <laughs> I think we've done our job. I think he just needs to get a life. I mean, it's nice he's keen. Oh, and come on. It's but... a banger, that tune. Nah, I'm over it. I'm a bit over K9 yeah. now. Like, Sarah Jane Adventures ruined him for me. Because you can now... Or you can't just imagine him without his arse in a black hole. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, well. Anyway, Crimson Horror, let's do this. Right, so the year is 1893. We're in Yorkshire. Just generic Yorkshire. Yeah. If I you mean, want to know what South Yorkshire's like but... nowadays, it's pretty much the same. Yeah, we haven't moved on massively, as I think is yeah, evident. North Yorkshire by... has, but if you go to like Barnsley and Sheffield or Ghoul, they're all like <laughs> cobbled streets and men with flat caps. Mm-hmm. Um, we're introduced to Edmund. Yep. Who is investigating. He's going to be our, our pr- protagonist for this episode. Yeah, we certainly hope so. <laughs> He's investigating some dark and queer business. Mm-hmm. And I think, is he with his wife or partner at this point? Yeah, I think it's, it's later wife. established that then that that that's actually a cover story. I can't ah, remember exactly, okay. but I think they were both journalists. But I, right. I could be wrong about that. I might have just misheard a line, but uh, yeah. So, in order to investigate what's going on, he steps into like a red light. Mm-hmm. Could be the same one from Fear Her, Doctor Who's greatest enemy, bright red light bulbs. <laughs> uh, yeah. And this is where we're introduced to Mrs. Gillyflower. Yes, played by... Diana Rigg. Diana Flippin' Rigg. Yeah, like, good, I, good I didn't guest really star. know of her before Game of Thrones. So you she never plays... watched repeats of The Avengers, then? Yeah, well, it was only once I'd sort of become aware of her that I realised she's just been in everything. Yeah. She's yeah. awesome. Like, yeah. And I just don't have a bad word to say about Diana Rigg. And she, she's... Let's be clear, even if you didn't enjoy this episode, she is one of the highlights. Yeah, oh, definitely. Definitely. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, so she arrives and pretty much just says he's dead. Yeah, she's she's like, she's offering her condolences for, right, for the loss of her husband. husband. And, and this is, you know, very typical Gatiss sort of black humour. She's like, oh, but he's not dead. And then you hear the scream. Yeah. So he's not actually been dead when she's offering the condolences. So, um, yeah, and so he's now, and she just gives, and she just gives her this look like, yeah, what the fuck are you going to do about it? Yeah. So the next yeah. time we see him, he's in like a coroner's. 
Yes. And he's like, red as a lobster. What did you think of the performance of... I'm going to look up the guy. I don't I don't know if I know him from other stuff or not. Um, don't know what's the name of the... Is it... Uh, I can't. I can't find it. I, I, it's not obvious on the cast list who's who the coroner is, mm-hmm. but whoever's playing him. What do you think of that performance? Uh, well, it's a bit tropey. I thought the guy that it's p- very broad. The guy but, that but, works in a coroner's office, but is you know joyous and takes take a sick pleasure that he enjoys his work. Like, he's literally sort of licking his lips as he talks and stuff. Um, and, and he's doing it all with that sort of gruff, gruff South Yorkshire accent. You know what, though? Again, it's one of those things where, like, at first, first watch, I don't think I quite got it. But on subsequent watch, I was just like, oh, no, this is just like... I can say it's not quite a parody... But it's yeah. almost there. Like, do you remember? Do you remember that Steve Coogan series? It wasn't very successful, but was very much like a, a, a sort of like it was like an anthology series um, inspired by the likes of Hammer Horror and Tales from the Crypt Keeper and stuff. God, what was it called? Uh, it was something like I do know exactly what you're talking about. It's yeah. Doctor Horrible's House of Terrible. That's or it. Doctor yeah, Terrible's that's the one. House of Horrible. House of Horrible. One of the two. But yeah. This this yeah, episode Doctor Terrible's could, House of Horrible. This episode could almost be an episode of that series. It's not quite that broad, but it's very much it's it's playing in the same you know, in the same sandpit. Yeah. So it should be quite scary. And at one point it probably was. Yeah, but I it's mean, actually I think, quite funny. But I mean, yeah, it, I think it does both. Um, but I think imagine you're an eight-year-old and you're watching and you're looking at that that petrified, glazed red corpse. I think that's a pretty horrifying image. But that, that's the sort of colour I like to come out of the bath. Looking, <laughs> like, I like my baths like piping hot. <laughs> I'm the opposite. I can't deal with that. Really? Yeah. But um... well, let's just agree we'll never have a bath together. Oh, I don't know. That's disappointing, isn't it? That's one, that was the first thing I was going to do once lockdown was finally over. How would you do it? Back to back or like bobsleigh? <laughs> bobsleigh, I think. Face to face? Oh, maybe face. Yeah, I think we need to be staring each other down, don't we? <laughs> dark, dark <laughs> fantasy going on here. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Uh, point being, I, I, I like the coroner in this. Um... And uh, we get our first mention of the octograms. Yeah. Have you ever heard of this concept? They're they're a real plot point in the Will Smith film, Wild Wild West. Yeah, it's because they were were one of... When they were, like... When, you know, the Victorian era is famous for being both this time of amazing progress, but also amazing credulity. Mm. You know, you look at someone like Arthur Conan Doyle, who invented... Sherlock Holmes is one of the great figureheads of sort of rational characters in in, in, in literature. Uh, and yet he also genuinely believed in fairies and uh, seances and, and things like that. These kinds of things were kind of all the rage in Victorian high society. So this this uh, there was it was this really popular belief that because 
we're just at the advent of photography really becoming a mainstream thing. Mm -hmm. So this idea that you could take a photograph of someone's eye and it would show you a reflection of what they last saw. Um, it's a fascinating idea. Obviously, as it's established, in, it's absolutely completely untrue, except it is true in this case. Mm. And what was this person's last... Well, it wasn't no, it wasn't this person, was it? It was a different person because we saw so, like a few in a row, didn't we? So, Edmund's brother is investigating yeah. his death now. Yes, and he meets Madame Vastra and Jenny Flint. Ah, oh, we get that first, do we? Yeah, yeah okay. to ask them about the octogram. Yes, and when they look at the photo of uh, Edmund's eye, they look in, and his brother faints. And yeah. I just want to point that out because it happens about 25 times this episode. Because in Edmund's eye yeah. is a picture of the doctor. Yes, yeah. Um, so uh, let's address the elephant in the room. Fastra and Jenny and Strax are back. Yeah, always oh, good yeah. to see them. I quite like them three. Yeah, um, collectively known, and this is, I don't think it's ever said on screen, but it's just a reference to the fact of the, the, the street that they live on, which is Paternoster Row, I believe. They're collectively known as the Paternoster Gang. Have you ever been on a Paternoster? I haven't. What is a Paternoster? So a Paternoster is... Imagine an elevator. Uh-huh. But you've got two elevators side by side. Uh-huh. So as one goes up, the other one goes down. Yeah. And then when the one reaches the top, it moves across into the other into the downwards Ooh. channel. So That's... it's like a constantly revolving yeah. it's like a loop. cycle yeah. of elevators. There's one in, I think weird. it's actually out of commission now, but it used to be in the University Library at Sheffield. Mm. That sounds like unnecessarily dangerous. Yeah, well, I You're think just it adding, was... adding extra steps. I think it was like the, the Betamax to the VHS of elevators. <laughs> Um, but yeah, they're but constantly anyway, moving. You have to step on and off whilst they're moving. Ooh, no, I don't like the sound of that. That's just asking for trouble. The best bit um, is if you stay on till it goes right to the top, you can go through the machine and back down the I other mean, side. of course, why would you do anything else? Mm. If, you've, if you're if you on one of those things, you want to experience that, surely. Mm. Um, but anyway, yeah, nice to have them back. I agree. I think they're, they're, they're a fun addition. Like In the same way as like something like River, you wouldn't want them all the time. But every now and then, they're a lovely treat. Yeah. So, Having said that, Big Finish has done the spin-off series with them. Oh, really? Yeah. This episode, it's almost, certainly for the first 15 minutes, it's basically like a pilot episode for a Pat and Oster Gang spin-off. Yeah, because it's a Doctor Light episode for the first half, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Um, and I, I've listened to the first episode of uh, the Pat and Oster Gang spin-off because it was uh, they put it up for free for a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, really solid. Like really? if you enjoy if you enjoy these Has characters, you will like actors? it. Yeah, it's all the proper actors, um, and it it keeps that it's quite humorous. So it's it's very much in keeping with the you know the sort of like comic interplay between the three of them. And it's again, it's because it, it's all set around that sort of Victorian London thing. Like you might not get a bit, get on board with it just because you know they're not travelling through time. Mm -hmm. They are set within the confines of their Victorian Britain world. But um, yeah, really good, really good fun. I think I'm quite well, keen to pick up the rest of the fun. 
It begins with Madame Vastra saying, in order to infiltrate Sweetville, is it? Yeah. Uh, they need a beautiful spy, because Mrs. Gilliflower only accepts the most beautiful people into her town. Yeah, beautiful and the best. Yeah, yeah. at which point Strack sort of adjusts his bow tie and says he's willing <laughs> to do so. <laughs> yeah. But they, of course, mean Jenny Flynn. They do, yes. Okay. So, Gilliflower is preaching about the evils of Bradford. Yeah. <laughs> what, what do you think of Bradford? I have only been to Bradford once, and that was primarily to visit the National Media Museum, yeah. which is a great it's museum. It's good, isn't it? Yeah. I just, did I mean, I IMAX? just... Uh, I did, yeah, because actually part of the reason I was there was, was to do, uh, do some... Um, see some film screenings oh, wow. that were taking place there for to do with a job that I had for a brief period. Mm-hmm. Um, but the... Uh, yeah, the, the the thing, my abiding memory of it was finally see, was seeing some proper old school 1960s BBC studio cameras. Yeah, you get to play on them, oh. don't you? You get the desk. Yeah. Is that the bit where... I just, it... just looking at them, I just melted. Yeah. You know, as as someone who 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 loves like watching old behind the scenes footage from like classic twentieth century BBC stuff, it's ah, oh, it just delighted me so much. Um, but yeah, God, we're getting sidetracked this yeah. week, aren't we? When when you were in Bradford, <laughs> did your husband blind your daughter? Sadly, uh, oh no, not sadly. I'll retake that. <laughs> <laughs> Thankfully, no. My husband was unscathed. Uh, well, Gilliflower, you know, yeah. says Bradford's an evil place because her husband yeah. blinded her daughter. And at this point, do we see the daughter? And she's got. We do. She's like reve- and she's revealed like a sort of exhibit in a freak show. Yeah. Like Gilliflower is using her as a shock tactic on yeah. her audience. So she has like um, chemical burns. Is yes. It to her yeah, face and, and her, eyes. Yeah, so she's got no irises or pupils. Her, her eyes have just sort of like just white. Mm. Um, played by Rachel Sterling, who might not be a name that means much to you, but interestingly, is Diana Riggs' real life daughter. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, it's all jobs for the boys, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> well, jobs for the girls in this case. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. She says she's going to build Sweetville, which is like a gated, perfect community. Uh huh. And then they all sing Jerusalem. Yeah. And Gilliflower's daughter is then seen later on feeding a monster. Yes. Did you did you have any inkling what the monster might be? I, I just thought it'd be like a big red man. I mean, well, you're not wrong. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I thought the Crimson Horror was going to be really farcical, but. Yeah, they did better than it, I maybe give credit. For yeah, that. it treads a fine line. Mm. It could have gone that direction, as I say, it could have gone full, just straight up parody. But it's more affectionate pastiche, yeah, than outright, you know, silly over the top parody. So um, then we're back with Edmund's brother. So the first yes. time he'd visited Madame Vastra, she unveils herself and he faints. This time he sees yeah. Strax and faints. Yeah. I never tire of this gag. Mm. Like, it gets funnier every time for me. Um, just because, like, the actor plays it perfectly. Like, he just, he just goes stiff as a board and just... Bump, like, doesn't even exclaim or anything. Yeah, he just... <laughs> just he just just down like a like a felled tree. 
Um, so, whilst in the queue yeah. to go to Sweetville, Jenny makes a friend. Yes. But her friend basically says, oh, my friend moved to Sweetville, but then I lost contact with them. Uh-huh. So, Jenny then says, make a distraction, I need to sneak off, see what's going on. So, her yeah. friend pretends to faint. Yeah. And Jenny goes into a room full of massive gramophones. Yeah, yeah. Because, like, you think it's, like, the factory floor. Yeah. Because it's, it's meant to be the factory floor. But it's, yeah, it's just these big old, um, I guess it would be pre-gramophone even. These yeah. would be sort of phonograph, wax cylinder mm. uh, things. But, like, enormous horns for them. And they're just blasting out this sort of clanking recording as as though there's you know, you know like work the taking place going on yeah uh so then vastra meets with the coroner yeah and is shown the crimson horror so yes. we find out that the crimson horror's not been seen for 65 million years yeah yeah she's the first person who seems to have some inkling of what's actually happening mm-hmm. to these unfortunate folk so Gillyflower then is hosting a dinner, mainly for uh-huh. her and her daughter. And this yeah. is the first mention we get of Mr. Sweet. Yes, the namesake of Sweetville. Yeah. Who, I mean, it's no spoiler. We know that Gillyflower is working alongside to build Sweetville. Yes. And yeah. when Gillyflower's seasoning her meal, she throws some salt over her shoulder for the devil. But yeah. she also, like, sprinkles some into her bosom. Yes. What did you think at that moment, not knowing what's revealed later? I just thought it was quite odd. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I did think, well, I don't want to give it away, but I sort of, yeah, I didn't it's exactly like, they, guess they, the ending, but I guessed a large no. part of it. They, def- they definitely, they like, they do plant little clues there for you if you're looking for them. Mm. But otherwise you might just think, Gillyflower is this strange old lady. Yeah. Um, so Jenny is still. And I think we can just. I can't remember the specifics, but like, let's just also mention that Guinea Flower is just, just fucking horrible to her daughter. Yeah. Well, like, she's like, she's like a religious zealot, pious, yeah. holier than thou yeah. character. Absolutely. So she's got and, that and nice it... balance of being really horrible whilst actually being quite well mannered and polite. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it reminds me again. It, it's. It's. That you can see where Gatus is getting his inspiration from actual history because you look at something like Bourneville that we mentioned. Um, Cadbury was was a a a sort of prohibitionist Quaker type mm. presence, so, so like you know there were no pubs on site and things like that. You know, it was quite common for these sorts of Victorian philanthropic. Um, you know, industrial types who who like they 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 would build these lovely um, villages for their for their workers to, to to live in, and and the living standard would be much higher than you'd get in the sort of the slums of London or or, or the other major cities and things like that. But the flip side for it was was that they had these sort of like often very highfalutin, uh, almost Puritan moral values, and you know. In order, you, you know, in, in addition to the work you were doing for these companies, the other strings attached were things like, you know, you wouldn't drink, you wouldn't gamble, you wouldn't, uh, you know, 
you, of course, you would you wouldn't have homosexual affairs or or you know wh- whatever else it is. But like you know, there was this this yeah Puritan streak to these these philanth- uh, philanthropic businessmen. So yeah, the 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 Giddy Flower kind of lines up with that sort of template. So. Back with Jenny, whilst investigating, she sees a bright red hand like reach out from the door, and yes. it's the monster from earlier. Yeah. yeah. Except when she goes in, she sort of starts communicating with it, doesn't she? Yeah, she just sort of like tries to re- reason with it, just say, "Look, we've got to have an arrangement. I can open this door for you, but you've got to not kill me." Yeah. Uh, do we have a deal? And when and... she opens the door, it's the doctor. Hey, there you go. So it's kind of interesting to think that basically for the first 15 minutes of this episode, first of all, the Doctor hasn't featured, but technically has and has just been the monster for the story so far. Mm. That's an interesting little inversion. I, I don't know, because up until that point, I kept thinking it is just going to be a monster. Yeah. And it's not. So I don't know. I was sort of gripped a little bit at this point because I genuinely yeah. didn't know what was going to happen. I think it's a really solid opening. It's it's and it, it is it's something different. I think you couldn't have got away with having the first 50 minutes of a Doctor Who story not featuring the Doctor mm-hmm. if we hadn't already established our other protagonists for this story. So because Va- Vastra, Jenny and Strax are familiar faces to us it kind of allows us to give permission to the story to be like, okay, we know we'll get to the Doctor at some point, but we we, we trust these characters. We'll follow their adventures first, mm-hmm. and that, that'll, that'll tide us over. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But I do remember feeling a bit like... I think it was, when I first watched this, it was one of the things that did make me feel a little short-changed on first viewing. Yeah, I can understand so, that. And I think it's one of the things where when you know going into it, oh, yeah, this is the episode where the Doctor is kind of, you know, out of action for the first 15, 20 minutes, then you kind of ease into that a bit more, I think, and it uh, makes it easier to enjoy. Mm, Definitely. Um, But, yeah. So, as Jenny begins to sort of lead the Doctor, because he's got, like semi-muscle paralysis he's like shambling along isn't he yeah it's always like sort of frankenstein style you know and stiff arms gilly flowers gaping mouth i I don't even i don't think i've written her name till the very end Uh, yeah but gilly flowers blind daughter ada ada turns up and isn't really chasing them but is sort of investigating knowing something's wrong yeah because they're trying to stealth away from yeah Yeah, her pet monster's been uh, yeah, been released. That's right. We get the revelation yeah. now that the Doctor was her monster. Yes. And at this point he gets his sonic screwdriver back, goes in the wardrobe for thirty seconds, and comes out fixed. Yeah. Fixed and somehow and I don't think this is addressed in the episode, he's when he goes in, he's like wearing a sort of like like a long John's yeah. smock kind of thing. Same as all the other people who've gone through this process. Um but then when he comes out, he's just in his normal Doctor gear. Yeah. I'm not sure how that happens. But I don't care. So... I, I, you know, if anything, I just enjoy the the, the, the the sort of cartoonishness of that. But, uh, 
Yeah, I don't think the episode makes any attempt to address how that happened. So, once he's fixed, he kisses Jenny, who gives him a big slap. Yeah, um, rightly so. She's a married woman. Yeah. Not on, Doctor. I'm going to be honest. I, that, I don't like that moment. Like, Plus, it, it's not very doctory. No, it's... I mean, the, the the intention of it, I understand, because the intention is like, oh, my God, it feels so good to be in my own skin properly again and uh, and all the rest of it. But, like, it feels proper creepy mm. to just suddenly plant one on a friend who you know is, first of all, gay and, and secondly married. Mm. <laughs> it's uh, kind of a weird thing to do, so, uh, to say the least. The next but, yeah. little bit... Is all in flashback, so I'm just going to... I'll go through all this at once, and we'll talk about yeah. it afterwards. So the Doctor and Clara tried to visit London in 1893, but yeah. got distracted. Can we say, I, I, I like as well that they do... That the, they, they give it the sepia tone and the flicker of, of mm. an old, you know, uh, early uh, Victorian film uh, thing. And, and, you know, that's a nice nice editing touch, I yeah, feel but like. this is this, where we get the what Doctor be a bunch of exposition. in New Yorkshire accent, and he... And he talks like this, and everybody's, you know, just brilliant. And it, it did my head in a bit. But <laughs> they meet Edmund, because they arrive in Bradford rather than London, and he yeah. asks them to challenge Gillyflower about the red bodies found in the canal. The Doctor being the Doctor, he can't overlook this little adventure. Yeah. Yeah. So they find the poison that the coroner had earlier given Vastra, Mm-hmm. And that's like the chemical bath that they dunk people in that leads to them yep. turning this horrible red. Yep. So the Doctor and Clara then move to Sweetville and mm-hmm. they are told of Mr. Sweet, who is Gillyflower's business partner. Mm-hmm. They get dunked in the red. The Doctor, his body rejects this chemical process probably because of his two hearts and his Time Lord yep. biology. Yep. So... Although he doesn't die outright and he doesn't succeed, he sort of becomes this reject that the blind yes. daughter saves. You know, there's a yes. bit of an affinity there with her being damaged goods, as it were. Yes, yeah, exactly. She's a you know, fellow outcast, yeah. And then the Doctor found... Sorry, Edmund found the Doctor, then he died. Mm-hmm. So the mystery is, why was the Doctor in his eye? Why was, you know, what was going on? Yeah. So, that pretty much just speaks for itself, that little flashback. It does, it? yeah, yeah. So, it's, it's, it's nice. It brings, it brings us up to speed. We know that Clara is around here somewhere, because we've not, you know, had high no hair. And, obviously, Jenny, then, I think the first thing she says is, like, question, but, like, how is Clara here? Yeah. Like, we saw Clara die. Yeah. So, and Jenny it was the first time you met her. multiple Claras, does she? No. No. So I, I thought this episode was going to end with, you know how in the one with the ghosts, I forget the episode name. I'm Quiet Dead? No, the recent oh, no. one with the ghosts, not the crap one. Uh, oh, Hyde. Yeah. You know how it ended with the Doctor actually wanted to be there so he could speak to the empath? Yeah. I, I thought in this he'd purposely gone to Bradford because he wanted to talk to Vastra about the whole Clara thing. I mean, well, of course they were aiming for London, and that's where Buster and Jenny are based. Yeah. Uh, but, um, but yeah, no, they could have. Uh, that, would, that wouldn't have been a bad addition to the script, to be honest. Yeah. But, uh, no, thought, it doesn't seem that way. 
it would have just tied into that ongoing search that he's having. Yeah. yeah. So the doctor says he needs to find Clara. And yeah. of course, Jenny thinks she's dead. And that's old Clara. And then, I quite like this bit. We get Strax talking to a horse. <laughs> yeah. His I ongoing just, uh, nemesis. Ev, I tell you what. Strax, some people cannot get on board with Strax mm. for whatever reason. I don't understand those people at all. Strax cracks me up mm. every minute he's on screen. And, there's and yeah, probably the most pointless part of this episode. Yeah. Is Strax says he doesn't know where he's going. Yeah. So a little boy turns into a sat-nav to tell him. Yeah. And the little boy's called Thomas Thomas. Yeah. And he rides off with Strax. And then yeah. you don't really get anything after that. No, because it's just a just a really bad joke. Yeah, I, uh, I'm not. I'm not a big fan of the. T- it's the, it's the, the joke t- that he's Tom Tom. The yes, sat nav. That is the joke. It's a sat nav joke. It was 2013. Sat navs were still novel. That um, that is, it's bad. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna email Mark Gattis. <laughs> is he on Twitter? So like, what were you thinking? Is he on Twitter? Let's have a look. <laughs> he probably is. Don't abuse Mark Gatiss. No, I'm just going to... Yeah, he is. Yeah. Um, Has he got anything about Doctor Who? No. No. I'm going to have a think. He doesn't doesn't need your abuse based on... I'm not going to abuse him. I'm just going to say, like, what was the thought process behind the Tom Tom joke? I mean, I can tell you what the thought process was. Yeah, but the thing is, I want to know at any point, was it funny? Presumably, enough people along the way read it and thought, "Yeah, that's an all right gag." Bunch of yes for men. it to get to get all the way to the point that that they cast a child for the role. It's jobs for the boys. They were all patting each other on the back. <laughs> they should be ashamed of themselves. <laughs> they probably should for that one. It's not a good gag. Yeah. Um, so the doctor finds. But Clara... I do. But I do. But I do love Strax threatening to to murder the horse. Yeah. Anyway. The Doctor finds Clara, and she's in, like, a bell jar with a man? Yes. Yeah. Perfectly normal. Yeah, well, it's it's sort of like, it's pumping air. There's, like, a pump system, like, sort of keeping them. Mm. You know, they're preserved. It's almost like they're taxidermied or something, you know? Um, And It's uh, a bit like a museum, isn't it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Have you ever been to Beamish? I haven't been to Beamish because obviously I didn't. I didn't grow up in this area. My partner, who is from the northeast, mm. will basically will, will will bring up Beamish to me like at least once a month. I, I think you should drop it in conversation this week. Just say, do you know what? I, I really I've been thinking about it, and I'd really quite like to go to Beamish. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I, I mean, it's. It's true. I would like to go to Beamish. You've just never quite gotten around to it yet. Yeah. But, uh, so for those of you that yeah. are listening that don't know, Beamish is like a museum consisting yeah. of a fully preserved Victorian town. Yeah. And, and there is they... there is an, another one further south, and I have been to that ah, one. I can't remember what it's shy. called. You know, probably is. You know what yeah. I think of the south. Yeah. Shite. We, we, we all know what you think of the south, man. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, yeah, Beamish is fun. Um, and 
yeah, the the doctor he just kind of just smashes the the jar, doesn't he? Yeah, if memory serves. So Gillyflower finds out that her daughter had kept the doctor. Um, yeah, we get a little chat about that. Yeah, and when the doctor and Jenny are caught, Jenny beats everyone up. Yes. Now I think this was supposed to be. You know, like how in The Matrix, when you get bullet time, where really fast yeah. movements are slowed right down. Yeah. But this is just a very slow fight. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think... I, I, yeah. I see what they were going for. Yeah, yeah, But absolutely. it was just 100%. her sort of slowly punching and kneeing people. Yeah. And this is this is one of the reasons why I think the Pat, the Pat Noster Gang audio series works quite well because uh, the eye of the mind you, can fill in. Yeah, the exactly. Exactly. You don't actually have to uh, execute visually execute the idea of, of of Jenny as this kind of like uh, Victorian ninja maid. Yeah, it's just yeah. like a subtle reminder that she's really really hard. Yeah, yeah. And then we get Strax shooting loads. Because he's off his face on sherbet. I love this bit. I love that he just, you know, just out of nowhere, just comes barreling in and blasting them with a laser. And he really is just like a kid with a super soaker. Yeah. Uh, Um, If if you had to eat so many sweets, it got you high. Which sweet would you choose? Oh, man. Skittles would be a pretty safe bet. See, I think I'd either go for munchies or yeah. after eight mints. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've overdone it on the after eights yeah. before now. <laughs> you, know, you, you think they're little. You think, you know, I know yeah. there's the Monty Python joke. You think you could have one there more. Is, there is just, there is a lot of sugary gloop in those fellas. Do you know what? I'm going to get some. <laughs> I wonder if the garage near my house sells them. I bet I know where it it's does possible. sell them. Oh, is it the big Morrison's? The big in Morrison's in Darlington, yeah. Darlington, yeah. Yeah. Add that to the shopping list. <laughs> they, they did fresh um, squid. I'm going to get some fresh squid. Yeah, but I, again, I, I I love when when because Vastra turns up and like interrogates um, Strax about about his behaviour and says, you know, have you been eating those sherbet fancies here? And Strax is lying everywhere. He just says, no. <laughs> Yeah, so good. Um, but anyway. Right. This is where we... Well, we rescue Clara, and then we get the explanation yeah. of the Crimson Horror. Yes. So it is a red leech. Yeah. Am I right in thinking it was a bioweapon used by the Silurians all those years no. ago? I, it was just... It, no, it was just... It was a natural phenomenon that was a, something that Silurians had to deal with and the same that we have to deal with certain pests and diseases and things like that um uh but yeah and so it was believed to be extinct but obviously has clung on in some form or other right and has uh, and the doctor speculates has maybe been aided along in uh in this particular case so, Clara points out that there's no smoke coming from the large factory chimney. Yeah. And that's because it's a rocket full of poison. Yeah. How did you feel about that? I love it. It's funny it's... because when we watched New Earth, Hospital on yes. New Earth, you yeah. didn't like that the doctor cured everyone just by pouring chemicals on them. 
Yes. And he, uh... But that's because that's because what he did was he took lots of different medicine and mixed it up in a bucket like fucking George's Marvelous Medicine. And just threw it over the world. But, but it, it, it's not a stretch to me that you have a rocket with some kind of like dispersal system that will disperse one specific chemical with one specific effect that we have already established within the confines of this particular story. That is a leap of logic I'm willing to go with, especially in an episode like this, which is very much playing in this world of pulp, Victoriana, Mm. sci-fi horror. Made me think a little bit of Wallace and Gromit. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, it has a touch of that to yeah. it. It's you know, it's a sort of it's a fairly steampunky affair. What, what's your favourite uh, Wallace and Gromit? Wrong trousers. Yes, correct answer. Yeah, my partner uh, prefers a grand day out. Oh really? And we've yeah, and we've had many a debate about it. And like, I'm not saying grand day out is bad by any means, yeah. but compared to wrong trousers. You know, there's no there's no comparison, is there? What about Close Shave? Close Shave's decent. Curse of the Were Rabbit. Um, I've only wa- I only watched it the once when it was released in cinema. I remember feeling like this is good, but it's maybe I don't know that Wallace and Gromit suits a feature length mm. thing. I think it was a bit too stretched out. And then is the maybe. one called A Matter of Loaf and Death. A Matter of death. Loaf and Death, which again I watched when it was first broadcast and have not gone back to. So I need to mm. revisit those last two. Yeah. But yeah. yeah. I used to really love it. I still do. Yeah. I mean, I'm a sucker for stop motion animation in general. Mm. It's my favorite form of animation. Uh do you remember Trapdoor? Yes. God, I love Trapdoor. I've been, sh- uh, been show- showing little absorber off a little bit of uh, Trapdoor. I, I love Trapdoor, but the Commodore computer game of Trapdoor was absolutely guff. Yeah. Uh, me, I me mean, my, do you think well, that's true of the Commodore computer game of literally anything ever? Well, my my auntie used to have it, and yeah. every time we used to go around, it was pretty much the one game we always loaded. And yeah. we could sort of do... Basically, the voice upstairs gave you like a recipe. Yeah. So you had to you open had to the trap the door bits. to let monsters out. Then yeah. you had to catch the right monsters and put them in the pot. Yeah. But then, because so many monsters came out, it was like nigh on impossible. Because the one you wanted was always the last one out. Yeah. So. It sounds like they did a good job of taking the premise of the television series and translating that to what could be good gameplay. And they just bungled the execution. Mm. You know, I feel like with some tweaking, you could maybe onto, be onto a winner there. Yeah, I mean, it's better than some of the other tie-in games of that era. Or indeed any era. Yeah. Like, tie-in games are, are generally speaking, not a good thing. Which reminds me, actually, I still haven't uh, given an official report on that uh, Matt Smith Doctor Who DS game you you, you, uh, kindly provided me with all those uh, episodes ago. I've kind of got that in my back pocket for our Series 7 wrap-up. That's going to be a long episode, but I am going to talk about okay. it. I, I haven't mentioned uh, twitch.tv forward slash time no space pod. Uh, I didn't stream yep. this week because my wife's been off work, so I went and saw some of my real friends. Um, but I'll be there this Wednesday, 8 o'clock. Don't know Excellent. what I'll be playing. 
this week I finished Uncharted 4 because I'm amazing at computer games. So Yeah, yeah, as we've established. Who yeah. knows? So anyway, Big Rocket. Yeah. Uh, so Ada, the blind daughter, asks, sorry, is asked by the doctor about Mr. Sweet and she says she doesn't yeah. know anything about him. Yeah. So Doctor then confronts Gilliflower and she says, yes. well, me and Mr. Sweet are close. Symbiotic, yeah. you can say. Right. <laughs> yeah. And then we get the reveal, don't we? Yeah. He's like a horrible little maggot lobster thing yeah. that lives on her chest where she puts little, a sock. Little, little weird prawn puppet. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah. I, I thought it was going to be more like... Um, have you seen Total Recall? I've never seen it. I'm, I'm aware of it. I've never actually the, seen it. But, I forget yeah. the guy's name. But uh, there's a bit where one of them has like a little mutant living on his chest. Uh, Very famous scene. It's really good. It's a good film. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, it, it, it's one of those things where it's like... I You couldn't pull that off in any episode. Hmm. But on this one, we've come this far... And it's just like, yeah, sure, fine. Weird yeah. little prawn parasite living on Diana Riggs' chest. Why not? Yeah. So, as Gilliflower arms the rocket, the Doctor then accuses her of testing the Crimson Horror on Ada. Yes. Says that her father never actually blinded her and it's the result of Gilliflower's testing. Yep. It's a pretty, pretty dark turn, isn't it? It is, but very much in keeping. We, I mean, we already knew Gilliflower was a nasty piece of work, but that is like, that's. I feel like you've. That's the point where you cross the line where you're just like, yeah, fuck it, she can die, whatever. Yeah. You know, Gatus. Gatus has this kind of. T- he, when he writes a villain, he really goes for it. Mm. Or you know what I mean, like. Um, like in the Idiot's Lantern, the that you know the horrible father. Yes. Yeah. In that, like he'll re- you know he he can write some really sort of nasty parent type villains. Um. So. Clara then smashes up all the rocket machinery. Yeah. I think the Doctor says at this point where he's like, "I've got a sonic screwdriver," and she yeah, goes, and Clara just says, share. "Yeah." And as she Good does line. that. Gilliflower escapes away with Ada. Yeah. Uh, the rocket begins to launch as the Doctor yeah. saves Ada. Yeah. And and so the Gilliflower's crying because she's like, ah, oh, well, you know, I had a secondary mechanism. I'm still going to launch it. And that's when they reveal that they've already smuggled the poison off it. Yeah. Vastra and Jenny have sort of taken that out. Yeah. Strax is at the top of the chimney. And he shoots Gilliflower, causing her to fall from a ledge. Yeah. Uh, so, it's sort of like a fitting end, isn't it? Yeah. And yeah. as she sort of laid on the floor in a big heap, Mr. Sweet starts to crawl away. <laughs> yeah. The Doctor says, don't worry, I'll take care of him. You know, I'll yeah, take, take him it back, back to time. the prehistoric. Yeah, Except yeah. Ada, obviously being blind, walks past with her cane and just yeah. smashes him to bits. Just really, but you know, it's like all that pent up rage at, at her mother, just all coming out in this one moment. It's pretty graphic. Like you see him just it as is. a big pile yeah. of slime and shell. Yeah, yeah. Like I say, I think this is a 
this episode is strong on the horror for Doctor Who. Mm. Um, which is what you want from an episode called Crimson Horror, I feel mm. like, that's playing in these waters. Um, so, But yeah, so that kind of wraps things up for, yeah. for those characters, really, so doesn't it? We're kind of getting to the end here. So Clara gets yeah. on the TARDIS, and once yeah. she's on board, the Doctor kisses Ada, and, yeah. you know says well it's just quite nice to her in the end yeah he's just sort of like reassures her because you know obviously she's had she's been she's had her horrible mother like filling her head with these feelings of inadequacy and stuff because you know gillyflower's whole plan was that she was going to rid the world in a sort of like you know apocalyptic event of all of its sinners and rejects and things like that and repopulate the world with her as she refers to her new Adam and Eve and these were these you know bright young you know beautiful people that she'd been preserving in these glass jars um and you know Ada pressed her on on you know is there will be a place for me in your new Eden won't there and 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 you know Gillyflower had said nah basically and so she's got she's got this kind of feeling of inadequacy and the, the doctor takes a moment to say to her, look you're fantastic you will be brilliant and just lets her get on with with this new chapter in her life mm. um so then you gotta hope it turns out well for us she yeah. probably could do with like some serious therapy good luck getting that in the, yeah. the mid 1800s um but... so jenny then asks again about clara Yes. And the Doctor, again, is quite elusive and he doesn't well, really... because he doesn't know. Yeah. He, he doesn't have an explanation. The best he can. But, yeah. Uh, just like, no, she, she's there. So there she is. Just as the TARDIS is starting to disappear, Edmund's brother rushes forward to say something, <laughs> but then faints as it disappears. Yeah. And I don't know, do you want to take the lead on the last little bit? Yeah, we get a sort of coda to this episode that's not really related to ev- uh, anything from this week it's more sort of setting up next week mm-hmm. um clara gets back to the present day um get, gets back to the house with where she's sort of been living in as a nanny and she's confronted by the kids that she's been looking after they've been doing a little bit of research pulled up some photos on the old internet computer and uh you know it's photos of clara in in the past in some of the adventures we've seen you know a photo of her with the characters in hyde uh one with the uh the crew on the sub in in uh cold war and then they pull up one of victorian clara Mm -hmm. and but it's not uh, and and she says no that well, that's not me. She's been denying that it's just like oh they just look like me. And then it's like well what about this one of you in Victorian London? She's like oh I wasn't in Victorian London. I was in Victorian Yorkshire. And you know that's kind of you know then she's admitted that uh, she is indeed a time traveller. And her her boyfriend, as the the kids refer to him, uh, they correctly surmise that he is an alien mm. on account of his weird chin. <laughs> Um, so yeah they're kind of blackmailing they're kind of basically calling her bluff and saying look either you take us with you on some time travelling adventures or we'll tell our dad 
And you know what I would have done in that situation? I would have called their bluff. Yeah, go tell your dad. Yeah, who's he going to believe? He'll just be like, our oh, kids, you know what you like. You probably did it in Photoshop. I'd just say it was some of those pictures you can get taken at the seaside that are made to look like you're like 100 years <laughs> old. You just stick, yeah, you just stick your head in an oval. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I, it's funny that she doesn't do that, but I guess she was maybe wrong-footed by the picture of a Victorian Londoner who does look exactly like her. Hmm. But obviously she has no memory of that. You know, she's wearing different clothes, different hairstyle. So it's her, but it's not her. Yeah. So this is the first... Because, of course, she didn't remember the conversation... Presuming she wouldn't have remembered the conversation that the Doctor had with her in Journey to the Centre of the TARDIS. Yeah. So this is now her first hint of... There's maybe another version of her that existed at some point in an earlier time. So, yeah, how do you feel about that as a setup for next week? I don't know. Like, I, d- I don't really want one where it's going to have, like, irritating children all the way through it. I don't want an episode of the Sarah Jane Adventures. Well, uh, who knows what we're going to get. I can tell you that the episode is called Nightmare in Silver. It's another colour-based title this week. It's going to be Daleks or Cybermen, isn't it? Gun to your head, who are you going to say? Uh, Cybermen are more silver, aren't they? Uh, it's yeah, it's going to be kids versus Cybermen. It's everything that's wrong with Doctor Who. <laughs> uh, I hope it's not. I hope it's exactly the plot of the Crimson Horror, but it's just silver this time. <laughs> Who knows? Uh, Tune in next week, listeners, and uh, find out what actually takes place in Nightmare in Silver. But until then, thank you very much for listening, and cheerio. Bye now. Thank you for listening to Neither the Time Nor the Space. If you wish to contact us, our email address is timenorspacepod at gmail.com and on Twitter we are at timenorspacepod. And thank you to Alexander Urban for his smashing arrangement of the Doctor Who theme.